and welcome to Mike Adelic. I'm Mike Brancatelli. You're you. And today's guest is Anthony David Adams. Sometimes I'm you and you're me and, and he's you and, and you're me. But today we're all here together to listen to this awesome conversation that I had with my friend Anthony David Adams. It was so good to reconnect. Uh, I guess uh, I could say friend. We were uh, acquaintances. We worked near each other in a WeWork office building in 2012. Anthony was tinkering away on his many entrepreneurial endeavors while I was working for a iPad magazine that we thought was going to be the cool new thing. Whoa, turn pages on a screen. That's cool, man. Um, But uh, yeah. Like so many little startup endeavors that I've been a part of, we uh, pivoted into other things. But uh, at the time, I met Anthony and I thought, man, this guy is really interesting. You know, I was a little, I'm a little younger, still am, uh, a little younger than Anthony. And at the time, I really, I was like, uh, man, maybe like 25, 26. I was thinking, wow, you know, this is cool. People get to do these kinds of things in the world. Just get a little office space and invent things and start things and, and, and create change in the world and create things that we want. And, and really around that time I was started to experiment with psychedelics and being around people like Anthony was like, made me think, wow, the, the world really is kind of malleable. We can really, you know, change it if we want to by, by just getting creative and having ideas and collaborating and working hard on them. And so I would always see Anthony in the office, just, just so focused on, on creating just always so focused on creating and we would always have really good conversations whenever we got the chair uh, whenever we got the opportunity to so uh so i'm so glad that i i got a chance to reconnect with anthony and that he agreed to come on the show and and have a uh, a great interview ish conversation with me uh and uh, i think you guys are really gonna you guys are really gonna enjoy it it's it's a really really good one um particularly uh, when Anthony uh, talks a little bit about his uh, struggles with um, uh, having uh, being diagnosed with certain kinds of uh, mental conditions, not necessarily um, having the right facilitators or containers to allow certain experiences to unfold, you'll hear it all from him. Uh, but he has recently been the subject of a PBS documentary. Mysteries of Mental Illness. Mysteries of Mental Illness explores the story of mental illness in science and society. The four-part series on PBS traces the evolution of this complex topic from its earliest days to present times. It explores dramatic attempts across generations to unravel the mysteries of mental illness and give voice to contemporary Americans across a spectrum of experiences. So I, uh, I put that in the uh, show description. And everything that you will want to know about this show will be in the show description. So when you're listening to the show at any point, if you want to pause, you want to go down into the show description, you want to pop out, check out a link or something like that, go for it. Uh, I, I feel like sometimes I can go on and on about things here, but how many, real, how many people are really getting uh, what I'm saying here about uh, the information. So it's all there. It's in text format. It's clickable. Go down there, check it out. Also, if you share this episode and tag at Anthony David Adams and at Mikeadelic underscore podcast on Instagram, you will get a free copy of Anthony's Mandala Workbook, A Journey of Discovery and Integration. 
And uh, you can also see the list of books that Anthony has there. All the links are down there. Connect with Anthony website, the PBS doc, join an event, Decriminalize Nature, which he's a part of in New York City. But, uh, but yeah, if you're interested, just tag Anthony and me on Instagram or wherever. You can tag us wherever it's taggable, and uh, you will get a free copy of Anthony's Mandala Workbook, A Journey of Discovery and Integration. So big thanks to Ohana Kava Bar, Fungi Academy, Sheath Underwear, and Mushroom Revival, also Student Loan Tutor. All of those links are in the show description as well. So if you want to check out some amazing, super chill, super relaxing kava from Ohana Kava Bar in capsules, in tinctures, in powder that can mix into tea, it is just so good. I love it. Check that out. Sheath underwear, so comfortable. I was camping over the weekend, doing a bunch of things, went paddle boarding in my sheath underwear. I was wearing them, uh, you know, several different uh, pairs. And my girlfriend loves them too. We were, we were actually sitting at, a, at the picnic table at our campsite. And she's like, yeah, I, re- I really love this underwear. It's just great. Like I'm able to wear it and kind of just give it a little quick wash and it dries and it's so comfortable. And I was like, oh, you're wearing the sheath? She's like, yeah, I'm wearing sheath. So I'm like, let's shoot a little commercial. But they're great. They love podcasts. They, they're big supporters of what we do. And uh, we will be joining uh Bobby, the founder of Sheath, who you heard on this podcast, Robert Patton, his brother Matt, the founder of Time Wheel, and the founder and creator of the new Time Wheel Podcast Network. Uh, I will be joining this uh, network, and uh, really, I look at it more as like a collective, right? It's uh, we, it's we're all friends. We all have podcasts. We've all done each other's shows, and. Uh, we feel that uh, together is better, right? I mean, we get to do cool events like this podcast launch party in Austin. So come out July 10th in Austin, Texas. I believe it's from 6 to 11 at the Church of the Sacred Womb. The uh, information will be in the show description as well. But it will be me, Michael Phillip of Third Eye Drops, Jen Sodini, Radio Amenti podcast, Robert Patton, Robert Patton Global, and Matt Zian of the Zian Archive. And this is just the beginning of this really exciting endeavor that I'm just super, super thrilled to be a part of. Just, uh, just such a talented group of individuals who uh, really are just amazing creators and uh, looking forward to just collaborating and mind jamming and riffing and, and, and co-creating and seeing what emerges from that. But it's going to be a great time. It's going to be in Austin, Texas, as I said. It's going to be 6 to 11. It's donation-based, which is great. Just come. No excuses not to if you're in the area. Just come hang out. Even if you're not, drive in. It's going to be great. It's going to be a really good, uh, good fun time. Just so good to get out and be with other people, especially like-minded, like-hearted souls. So it's called the Mind Jam and Ecstatic Dance Launch Event for Time Wheel Podcast Network, hosted by the Church of the Sacred Womb. Womb, a live podcast event on meaning, wonder, and creativity, followed by ecstatic dance. So there'll be ecstatic dance, live music, live podcasts, visionary painting, yoga and breath work, and some pop-up shops. So come join us July 10th in Austin, Texas. Myself, Jen Sodini, Michael Phillip, Third Eye Drops, 
Radio MNT, ZN Archive, and uh, we will be riffing and jamming and boogieing down and uh, just being with each other in uh, in a real community sense. That's what I'm looking forward to, and uh, that's what I would love for you guys to be a part of as well. So with that being said, like I said, go check out all the links, go check out all the information, everything that you hear on this podcast is funded and supported by the people who pay fiat currency to me on Patreon. Just got it in, just sent it over to me from PayPal. Thank you to all of you wonderful people out there that do that. Uh, And if you want to join this community, go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank and select a level, select a tier, get access to the Discord. I got stickers in now. I got other, you know, bonus episodes, a lot of, uh, really good stuff going on on there. So check that out and please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts. It helps the show tremendously. And, uh, if you want to do anything else, just listen to the show, enjoy it and share it, tell people about it, subscribe, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, I hope you guys like this episode as much as I did without further ado, let's get into it. Hope to see y'all in Austin. On July 10th, it's going to be fun. Live event. Nothing like a live event. I already said without further ado, and then I went on to talk about the event again, didn't I? Well, now without further, further ado, let's get into this podcast with the great, the talented, the wonderful, the compassionate, the kind, my friend, Anthony David Adams. Psychedelics are illegal, not because... A loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power, but we have to seize seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. Welcome. Yeah, man. Uh, how have you been? You're always up to so many things. And uh, so I feel like there's no shortage of things to tell, one. <laughs> Sometimes when uh, yeah. I ask people, hey, what's up? How have you been? What's new? What's going on in your world? What's exciting for you right now? They're just like, oh, you know, just the uh, things and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll say that I recently saw you post uh, something where you were really moved by, I believe, a woman who was holding space. Um, and I was moved by you being moved, posting yeah. that. 
And then I saw who that woman was, and my girlfriend happened to be doing her first doula experience um, in Texas. And so I was like, wow, this woman would really connect with her. So I sent her her, her page on Instagram to follow. I was like, oh. you should you should check this this out. Um, did so you, that's that. Yeah. How did you how did you know the person that I was with? I'm savvy, man. You know for sure it was the person. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I just <laughs> I saw comments and I was like, oh, maybe this is the woman. Oh, right <laughs> maybe on. Maybe it right wasn't. On. I don't, was it? No. Am I right well, or no? I think she was involved. I think she was the one who was being sat for. Oh, okay. I okay. think. I mean, I would have okay. to. We'd have to figure it through, but I think that she was the one being. It was equally beautiful. It was all very beautiful. Um. But, yeah, the the the, the medicine woman is a. It, it was so. Well, you read the thing, but yeah, it was mm-hmm. like the experience of, I, I, I got a friend asked me to go with her, you know, just, can you come be with me in this space? Right. And, um, so I, so I went and it was so powerful. It did, it was on so many levels. Like it, I think it helped me to just being there, helped me to integrate my previous Bufo experience from mm. two years ago which was really the last significant psychedelic experience that I, that I had that was medicine potentiated. And, but also watching this person work, watching this medicine woman work in the space, it was so beautiful. Like that's what I said. I, I literally wept from the beauty of what she was doing. I, I felt like I was watching like a ballerina or like just you know, the, the artistry of what was happening and it was so, and some of it was very subtle. And I kind of imagined that if someone hadn't been experienced or skilled or practiced in holding space in general, they might just, they might not even know what's going on there and just completely miss it. They wouldn't be able to appreciate it in that way. But right. I think from years of holding space for people, there was just, yeah, there was just some recognition of like a very high level of mastery and artistic integrity that, um, I've never experienced that professionally before where I just like wept because someone's work was so beautiful. It was, it was so, it was so interesting to be, uh, to be there. And then the experience itself was very beautiful and moving and challenging and difficult. And it lasted an hour and a half. Normally these things are 10 to 20 minute experiences. Wow. And before the experience happened, the woman that was taking the medicine, it was like, as as soon as she took the medicine, it was as if she looked at the medicine woman and she just said, you can handle this. Mm. And then she went into this like trance state. Like, and, and it then set the medicine woman up for what she described as her most challenging, lengthy experience. But the person who was being sat for almost like told her like, like a preview of what's about to come. Like you've got, you've got this. And then she went into this crazy space. Um, the whole thing was just so wild. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and you said something really interesting there too, about how just simply being there in that energy and witnessing that was really helpful for you as well. It really, really was. Yeah. I think that one of my biggest, if I think about the topography of my psyche, it's like, 
fear of going to hell, fear of going crazy. Like those are sort of, those are things that I've dealt with over and over in my life. Mm. And so it definitely, there was a moment when we were in this medicine space where I thought, not that I was going, I thought this person that was being sat for, I was like, man, sh- this, she might not come back from this. Like she might be the one person who doesn't you know, come back from this experience. And I was like, I may be putting my friend in diapers for the next 40 years. Like, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what's happening. And so there was this moment where I've never had that when I've sat for someone personally, but I think because I was in this almost like co-facilitation, almost like a assisting role, you know, I was like, it was hitting an edge of my capacity to be in that space. And, um, the medicine woman actually called her back, you know, it was very, after an hour and a half, she said, can you open, open your eyes? And uh, it was almost like a mother calling her kid home from playing outside for dinner with this like loving stern energy. It was just like, it's time to come back now. Mm-hmm. And then she did, but she said, man, I thought that I was not coming back from that. It was just, I kept getting pulled back into some. So I think that watching it, witnessing it, it allowed some part of me to get activated, like whatever that fear of going crazy is and help me even to further integrate this deeper trust in the psyche that when it's supported in a healthy way, that it does naturally orient itself. Like it naturally puts itself back together. Like it wants to come back together to wholeness. Like it's moving in that direction. So that was quite helpful and and beautiful. Um, And also just, God, the, you know, the, the other piece too, I think was that this, this woman that was in the space, she was dealing with some trauma around a grandfather that had molested her, that had raped her. And so that you could tell, I mean, I don't know if every time I sit for someone like, or I'm in this space with someone that's in that world, it's like, you just know what, you know, when you're doing breath work or you're I just, I always feel like I know exactly where they are in their life narrative. It's like, you're just there with them in that, you know, and you're feeling everything they're going through. And so I knew that she was experiencing that and you could watch her moving and this way she was acting. And, um, but after the experience, you know, we, she shared with us what it was like for her and to, on the outside, it looked like it was just pure agony. I mean, it was the most difficult part of her life. And she was like, people don't even know what bliss is. You know, they think they know what bliss is. And so she was in this super blissful experience. And it was, it was such a reminder that like in the heart of all pain in life is this deeper bliss, this deeper divine experience of bliss. It's available if we allow ourselves to penetrate into the heart of our pain into the heart of the challenge there. So that was just beautiful as well. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. And in, and intellectually yeah. and intellectually so interesting mm-hmm. too. just, you know, un- knowing what's going on on a neurobiological level and watching this person sort of cycle through all of her different personality structures, like all the defense structures that, that she took on as a result of these traumas. It was like watching the final scene in Terminator two where like the liquid metal robot, you Terminator two, like, like, yeah, like yeah. goes into the the liquid metal, but goes into the lava, and then all the versions of that uh, like start coming out. It was like watching that all of her personality wow. structures: a little girl, an angry kind of fierce woman, like just it was just the whole spectrum of oh, I need you to hold me, 
to get off of me. Like all of those pieces just kept cycling through. And I was struck by, I recognized in that moment, I thought, wow, if, if a person went into this state of consciousness in the current Western frame, they end up in an ER with a psychosis diagnosis and like a benzo that, that arrests that organic process of moving to completion. So they get frozen in that and then that becomes their story for the next 30, 40 years. But in a supportive environment, those pieces are allowed to come to the surface. They express themselves. They, they simultaneously learn that it's okay to be expressed, but also that their expression is not needed for their safety. And so then they, be, they can integrate. And to watch that process just, and then for her to come out the other side of it in this more deeply integrated way was just so beautiful and just intellectually fascinating and such a, such a confirmation of my own direct experience of my own journey and with my clients and kind of with my current map of what is going on in, um, you know, in the kind of the Western psychiatric medical paradigm that's, you know, about to, it's, it's changing, but that, that kind of what's going on in that space. So it was, it was just beautiful. What a, what a gift to be able to be in that, in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, as uh, having experience in, in spaces like that, I'm, I know I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm right there with you as you're talking about it. It's like, feel, I'm like feeling it. Wow. And, and that what you said about going through that and the, the Western model of like, you know, they'll freeze them and there's in that space and that becomes their story. I remember being very interested in, um, schizophrenia, mental health, like, you know, what, you know, I read an article called What a Shaman Sees in a Mental Hospital that I thought was really well written a bunch of years back. And also listening to some Joseph Campbell talks about that. He, I think it was Campbell that mentioned that the, that uh, when someone is going through a, a break from an ordinary, normal sort of reality, general consensus reality, that the tribe of people that are there with them, essentially, they sit for that person to, to go through that experience, go through that ordeal, however long it takes, because they know that when they come out on the other side, that they, they're going to be of a great value to that, that unit, that community. And um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, that, well, for a tribe, or a, you know, for a community that has that's in that that, that has that wisdom, it, exactly, and yeah. and I I think that the you know the shamanic phenotype, so to speak, like like of the human is a person who is like kind of high intelligence, high creativity, high sensitivity, and it seems to me that there's a taking on of like as the as the community, you know, the tribe or the community moves forward, evolves, develops new technology, different challenges happen. Certain values begin to become underrepresented in a particular tribe for whatever reason. And I think a classic example of this is like you know pre agriculture, humans didn't didn't I don't think that you know we didn't build gymnasiums to go like work out. You know we just. We were just moving shit around, you know, we were like, we were just active. And so with agriculture and then more specifically with the industrial revolution, even, 
you know, it's like now we pay money to go lift weights, like to go move things around to the gym. You know, it's like, well, because yeah. the tech, the technologies have evolved to a level where now we actually have to consciously go do these things. And I think that that happens, you know, with any sort of technology that we take on. And I think that the shaman type, and to some extent, they feel the pain of the underrepresented values in this like amplified way. And for a culture that gets that, they're going to say, yes, there's like, there's some deeper, there's some values that aren't being represented in the tribe. We need to support that. We need to allow a person to go into that, to bring something back, um, deeper insight, deeper understanding, some deeper wisdom or knowledge that is needed for us to be able to thrive. Um, and if that is a supported process, yes, then you get this, get access to this, this, this continuous wisdom that can be a part of the culture. But I think in Western culture, we, it's sort of a mono-conscious culture. You know, we have this pr- like productivity-focused consciousness, which is like alcohol and caffeine and television and like cocaine, like methamphetamine sort of like mindset. Right. But yeah. the Gnostic experience, the mystical experience, like that hasn't been very well supported with our social structures. In fact, it's been kind of eradicated to a large degree. And then... Mm-hmm. And then we we take on these, we have these attempts to suppress the pain that we experience by having eliminated those states of consciousness. So we drug ourselves out, we take on psychiatric medication, we tend to try to reinforce ego structures that need to die and fall away to be reborn. And we just kind of try to hold them in place, I think. So, um, but yeah, well supported, I think. It's it's not just a, it's not just like a, you get back to a base. It's not like you just get back to where you were. And some it's like you get better. You go beyond better in a way. Right. Like you, you, right. You, there's a you, there's a growth. There's a wisdom. There's a, a deeper sense of connection to your tribe, to a sense of clarity, to um, your purpose, to understanding. Um, and that's certainly what I directly experienced going through so-called psychosis and schizoaffective and bipolar and all of the shit in the DSM and, you know, was told by Stanford psychiatrists that, you know, you will never be like, you will need to be on these medications your entire life. You're crazy. If you think you're going to go off of them, like, you know, you, you are not to be associated with professionally, you know, if, if you think that you can do this without medication, um, and thank God I knew how to read research papers because I think a lot of the doctors don't understand how to read research papers and they don't know how to use Google properly. I mean, it's, it's not like it's um, the, the information is out there, but it's not integrated into the mainstream paradigm yet. So I think experiences like this, and I think the psychedelic Renaissance is by, by definition or sort of by necessity, it's bringing up these conversations around the more mystic approach, the more transpersonal approach, the trauma-based approach, um, and the role that all of those things play in the space of mental health. Yeah. 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 I really resonated with what you said about fear of going crazy. Mm-hmm. So my uncle has, was diagnosed as bipolar schizoaffectoid. I think mm-hmm. it was the official yeah. diagnosis with some yeah. other things in there. Who the hell knows? Because he's just been in this system for so long yeah. and so many pills and things. And, um, and I grew up with this fear instilled in me by 
mainly my mom, you know, coming from a good place, but not expressing it in a, in a healthy way. Right. Whenever I did something that was kind of out of bounds or whatever, it was like, oh, I hope I hope he's he doesn't develop what your brother has, you know, and like, I hope he doesn't go off. And hmm. that really didn't help, you know, because then right. it created this fear in me that I think yeah. actually limited me whenever I wanted to go and experiment and do something that was out of bounds, you hmm. know, um, but I always felt the desire and the push for that. And um yeah, so that fear was like, okay, am I crazy? Is this weird? Is this too abnormal? Um, and I think that there's some, there's this unbounded, unfiltered creativity and intelligence and deep, soulful connection uh, to something else on the other side that people that have experiences like this can experience. Which, you know, I mean, like when I first met you, I my original uh, initial thought was this guy is super smart and super creative and just full of energy and like really just, I was just like with it, like whatever you were talking to me about, yeah. like I was just like, I'm with this. This is cool. Like this guy's on another level here. Yeah. Um, but you had struggled with this. So, so I want to hear a little bit about your story with this, uh, with, with what you were diagnosed with, what you were prescribed, your journey with this and how you, you eventually got out of it. I know you said reading research papers helped, but yeah, talk to me a little bit about that, that fear of going quote unquote crazy, if you will. It's so strange. I mean, the intersection between like our Dharma or our life purpose and narrative. And there's just so many, like stretching back as far as I can remember, there was always a fascination with madness, with magic, um, with mysticism, with psychology, you know, like all these pieces have been there part of my being for as long as I can remember. I was making computer pro I was like programming computer programs when I was a kid around self-help journaling, but also making kind of mis mischievous programs called psychosis. Like I had a brand called psychosis. My net, my hacker handle was psycho when I was like 10, you know, like just, I was making stop motion animation films about mushroom journeys when I was like 10 years old, not having taken psychedelics. So there's something in the DNA or in the imprint of life that I, that I can't, it's always been a part of me, you know? And, right, yeah. and I, in a weird way, I do recall seeing, um, I remember seeing like imagery of, of Lewis Wayne's cats. I don't know if you, there's like, like there's these famous artists, Lewis Wayne, he's drawn, drawn these cats. And they, they say that like he, as his schizophrenia progressed, his cats got like more and more abstract and kind of psychedelic. Um, that may, that may or may not actually be true if you look into the history of him. But when I saw those cats, I thought that's so interesting. Like I, schizophrenia seems like a cool thing. Like why not be schizophrenic? Like it was, I was drawn towards whatever that was, you know, I'm 16 years old in some way. And I also remember as a kid, like when I was taking psychedelics, there was this like urban myth. Like if you take, I don't know. It's you know, some amount of like LSD. You know, you're legally insane. You remember this like right. myth? I remember this, like, that. Yeah, this, like fiction. Like if you've taken 12 hits of LSD or 10 hits or 100, like there was yes. some thing in high school, right? Where it was like I remember this. Yes. And so I don't know. Like you know, you, you've committed treason. I mean, there were so many strange, like you know. But I, I think I tried to break that barrier. I was like, okay, I want to see what that's like. You know, it was it was very cavalier, but. When I was when I was eighteen, I I I had a I had a I had what you could say would be a psychotic 
a psychotic break. I mean, that's the best, you know, I, it, there was a break from reality and it was not as far as I can tell potentiated by, you know, taking psychedelic, maybe it was, maybe that laid the groundwork for these things to emerge, but, um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't like I took LSD and then had a psychotic break. It was like, I was in like a sober mindset basically. And then entered into this, this, this altered visionary state of consciousness that was, uh, beautiful and then also terrifying. And I, um, I basically, yeah, I basically was like on a highway and I thought that I could like teleport to visit my girlfriend by like driving into the back of a semi, like on the highway. Like, like it was like a scene from this old, like spy hunter video game where you would like drive into the back of a semi and like teleport. Like, like literally that was the, the scene that I was in. Wow. And so I, and I tried it out. I, it's about, I like tried it. I was like, Oh, and, and like the moment of trying it, was this like transcendent blissful it was like like the gates of heaven had like opened up or something like it was like a holy moment in a way and then i hit the back of a fucking semi on the highway and it was very snapped back into reality and fear and shame and like what the fuck am i doing like this is crazy like this is nuts you know um and the police came and i just like told them the truth i was like i thought I could and they were just like you need to go home like they just like didn't I didn't get arrested they just sent they let me get back on the highway and drive back home and then I think they called my parents or something listen now don't try and teleport no one more time <laughs> yeah. yeah it was so crazy it was like and yeah. so that and at the time I was like I was studying like qigong and I had this like qigong mm. teacher that was very like I mean, he's basically telling you like reality is, is literally a concert of your imagination. Like you're, you know, you're in this imagination space. And, um, I remember like my dad, when my first memories of my father, he was a high school science teacher, like telling me, I remember like putting his hand on a table in our kitchen and saying like, you know, it's, there's a possibility that like this table will dissolve and my hand will go through the table like any moment. That's always a possibility, you know? So like from an early age, I was primed to the plasticity of, reality the not you know mm. and so i some perfect storm of things happened where that i tested this fundamental assumption of of reality and um fuck it was terrifying in a way um and then, then that so then that you know led to me going and talking to a psychiatrist and i and my, you know, my mom i remember going and i was very like just i was very disassociated at that point i think you know i think i was i was just very inside myself. I didn't really understand what's happening outside of me. Um, I was prescribed something. I don't even remember what the prescription was for, but he was like, you know, I think you might be schizoaffective. Like here's some antipsychotic or something to take. And I just didn't, that was it. I just, I, I didn't take it. And I stopped talking about what my, what I was experiencing. And I just kind of tried to ignore what I was going through. And I think that I was smart enough and you know, intelligent and charismatic enough that like I could kind of get through things just on that, you know, without even discuss what my feelings were or what was happening inside of me in a meaningful way. Um, and it was, and that kind of set up, uh, yeah, there was like a decade, you know, that my twenties were riddled with those types of experiences, not, 
didn't drive into a semi again, but there were other, other spaces of thinking that I was like talking to aliens or time travelers or seeing Jesus Christ, like in my girlfriend or seeing the devil. Like it was a very, and I felt like I was in a parable is the best way to describe the experience. It was like, everything was deeply metaphoric. Mm-hmm. And, um, I would hear voices, not like that weren't there, but I would like hear conversations that were happening around me. And then somehow I would like select a dozen words from various conversations and like assemble a sentence, you know, it was like I would use to create these meaningful sentences. It was almost like a meta conversation that I was, that was having a message for you, some kind of a message or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I also was then kind of in and out of, and it was very stressful. It was a very unstable point. You know, I was also doing other stuff creatively. Like I was running a nonprofit as a lobbyist for a bit. I started a company based on this patent that I had. I was working with other friends, help helping start businesses and, um, but nothing really stuck like that. Like everything would just any kind of success I would have would just disintegrate. I would employ, like, it was just, there was no internal footing. to to really grow from, it was just very boom and bust depression, these manias. And I don't know. I didn't, I guess I just never thought like, you know, I, I, I stopped, like became sober, like didn't ever touch psychedelics again. Didn't, you know, it was like, not even having caffeine, like got really into trying to like understand what I was putting into my body, but nothing really worked. Like I, I found myself back in those states of consciousness regularly and I didn't have any understanding of how to be with them. Um, and it wasn't until I was dating, I actually was dating this woman who was, a uh, um, in med school. She, and then she was in residency at Harvard and then ultimately at Stanford for psychiatry we had fallen in love and um, very tumultuous relationship. Um, yeah. I mean, it was just very like, it was a very, so interesting. Like I would never be in that relationship now, but just at the time, like we were so in love with each other and it was this very, it was like this Romeo and Juliet kind of like family drama. Like it was very, very wild. Um, mm-hmm. But through, but through that, um, there was something that happened and I thought, okay, like the, the, the tribe of psychiatry is calling this dance you're doing like bipolar or schizophrenic. Clearly like they're not wrong. Like you're doing something like you're, so this is not a normal, exp- like this is your, this is not a normal experience. So let's like look at that. And I think because I had this relationship with a psychiatrist, I was like, Oh, they're not evil people. Like, you know, she's like really well intentioned. She's very spiritual in a lot of ways. So I started to see a psychiatrist after, you know, around that time, early thirties, late twenties, early 30, like 30 or something. Um, yeah. And it was interesting. Yes. Like my, the dance I was doing fit this description of what the tribe of psychiatry calls bipolar, schizophrenia, schizoaffective. And yet what they wanted me to do with it, the prognosis, I suppose, were like, what, here's the medic. Like I tried some lithium that they prescribed to me and, um, 
I was so skeptical of it. And it, it felt to me like, um, it just, it felt like I was like living inside of like a Nirvana album or something. It was just so dark. Like I was, but I was in this dark space. Um, and I don't know. I had a sense that there was something, um, there was like something to be felt that like, that I was not able to feel that there was some aspect of myself that I needed to get access to that wasn't available on the lithium. And so, um, I, I went off to lithium and kind of without dis- I mean, my family was upset, you know, people were upset with me for doing this. Um, but I had this deeper intuition. I had this deeper intuition that was, there's an alternate way through this. It's not guaranteed. Like maybe you'll die because people are telling me you're going to commit suicide or some shit. Like, um, it felt like climbing like Mount Everest, you know, like you go to climb Everest and there's like bodies of people that have tried to climb it that are just like on the ice next to you. It's like possible, but like maybe not like guaranteed. So I recognize that was a risk. I felt like my intuition told me it was worth trying and that if I was able to do it, it would also be in service to other people in some sense of kind of mapping out that process. Um, And, so yeah, I start. I, I guess that when I went off at lithium, I had a vision. Best way to describe it. I've spoken of this at length before, but it was um, a vision of a woman that came to me at my bedside. She had her palms out, like she was holding this like liquid, and she was shimmering and green. And she was she was like this. This is your this pain is your medicine. Like you need to take this. Like this is for you. So I was like, okay. And I, I, I just consciously chose to feel and go into the pain that I was experiencing in that moment that was potentiated by a breakup with a psychiatrist girlfriend. Or she had said, my, my colleagues at Stanford have told me, you know, Stanford psychiatrists don't date men with bipolar. Uh, you know, I have to break up with you. Like, you'll never get better. It's like you're an alcoholic. And um, damn. Fuck. And also, like, if she was like, man, if my colleagues know that I'm with someone who thinks you can do this without medication, like I'll be ruined professionally. So much fear and just shame and pain was coming up in there. Um, And heartbreaking because I saw this person, like as a human, I saw this person that I loved that was just afraid and was literally just existing in this other paradigm that was just like so faulty. But Mm -hmm. um, God, it just, it was heartbreaking to watch and I'm grateful for it because I feel like I got this front row seat of the limitations of, you know, the that the institution of Western psychiatry. Like, you know, you're at yeah. the top programs, one of the most brilliant people in there, and just watching what the pain was that was that was going on there, and just the limitations of that. So I can see how that served me dharmically now, uh, but at the time, man, so painful. But I went into that pain and it was a, it was like a three hour ordeal of going into myself. There was, it was a visual experience. It was like these writhing black eels. It was terrifying. And on the other side of it, I just, I felt so much, I just felt like calm and relaxed and like, oh, I could like take a breath. And I, I remember hearing a voice that was just like, you know, kindness can go a long way. And that really informed me in terms of my interactions with my ex. And just, it really it was, a, and it was the first time that I consciously chosen to go into myself to feel an emotion intentionally. Wow. Um, 
And later on, I would speak to a, um, a woman who's a medicine woman. And when I described that experience, she was like, Oh yes. Like, you know, well, some, sometimes ayahuasca spirit visits you, whether you've taken the medicine or not. And she just said that was an, she's, she saw that as an ayahuasca experience, the shimmering green woman coming to me with this liquid medicine to drink, just saying, take this. Um, and I don't have, I've never actually taken ayahuasca. So I don't have a relationship with that medicine outside of that one experience, but it, I'm open. Like I'm just open to it. I don't, I don't have any, you know, it, it was meaningful in and of itself, but to hear it reflected on by a medicine woman describing it as that I thought was, was interesting. Um, and then that was kind of the, like, that was sort of a turning point in terms of um, this reorientation to my feelings, like choosing to feel the difficult feelings that was going on inside of me. I think that that point of my life um, that that would be the general theme, you know, that would come up with um, this, this journey. And so then that, le- you know, and then it wasn't like it was over. I mean, it, that was like the first step of many steps. And then I think at a certain point um, I was like in another breakup situation and I was like, Oh God, you're, you're back in this place, you know, and, and a mentor suggested that I try MDMA therapy. So I tried MDMA therapy and then that was, that was kind of the first time that I was able to um, really like relate to myself, you know, in a, in a deeper way. Um, Wait, you said uh, somatic therapy was, my, you just, I think you just cut out for a second. All right. So, so you were talking about uh, how somatic therapy was, was helpful for you. Yeah. So it was like the, I, I feel like that the, in, in the way that I've made sense of a lot of this in my mind is that, the MDMA therapeutic experience. And it was in, you know, an, an underground space. Um, it allowed me to relate to myself in this different way. And when I found this particular somatic therapist, it was very serendipitous. I watched a YouTube video and in the YouTube video, I felt like, man, this therapist is relating to their clients the way I was relating to myself kind of at the height of this MDMA experience. And that felt really important to say, well, if, if this is kind of my higher self's way of relating to me, go find a person that can teach you how to do that to like integrate that experience. So I found a, I found a NARM therapist, which is like a type of somatic therapy. And it was just that experience really allowed me to begin to further this practice of working with my emotional states of going into myself and doing it in a relational context that helped integrate that. I think that the somatic therapy really helped me to get ready for, um, like for doing men's work in a way, like just being Mm. able to trust another person and then get, you know, going on a men's retreat and then becoming a a co-leader of a men's group for the last couple of years. Um, that, and then in a way that process allowed me to trust like a business coach. It was like mm. I, all those pieces, like kind of like, which you are as well. Well now, and I do a lot of coaching work. Yeah. And right. so I have a whole coaching practice. Um, Transformational and it's, coach and creative advisor. That's 
Is that, is that what is that what I call myself these days? Yeah, it sounds about yeah, that's right. what I saw from your website. Yeah, <laughs> is that the, yeah, yeah. Is, that, is that what the website says? Um, well, it's always hard to know because you know transformational coach <laughs> feels like the best thing. I mean, it, on some level, I'm like a human being that's had this particular unique experience that meets some other people in their experience in a way that is helpful and healing. And I, I feel like I'm kind of comparing notes on the path and I'm pushing people and challenging them. Um, in certain ways. Uh, but it really is a very human thing. You know, I think that, I think that that understanding of the psyche and understanding that it's like, we want to move towards wholeness and completion. Like that's just, it's like, that's the direction that we're trying to go as, as individuals. Um, and that, that there's an inner orientation towards that, that we sometimes just need some help creating a better context for Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, like you were saying, like you, you were mentioning that you were looking at some YouTube videos and stuff. And I, I had a guest on the show recently, we were talking about growing mushrooms, cultivating mushrooms and how, you know, they put together this program, Fungi Academy, one of my newest sponsors, love those guys. And they were like, I, they were saying that he, what he was saying was the same thing that, that I went through too. Is like, where are we looking? Where are we finding out? There's like these forums, these people saying these like weird experiences that they're having use okay. this technique. No, use this technique. So what would you say, I guess, either like if you could go back and, and, and give yourself what you needed then at the, the most, or if there's someone going through a similar kind of experience now, what would be like the, the ultimate uh, facilitation or guide or way through what to look for, what to not do things like that. Right. Well, it's, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange thing because you get to a certain point and you're like, well, it was exact, you know, it unfolded exactly as it needed to unfold for me. And like, well, you know, but outside of that perspective, you know, I think, Okay. I think, I think an orientation, think of this in like an integral framework, kind of like the four different quadrants, you know, belief structures and then behaviors and then relational structures and like systems. So I think that, I think that, um, really kind of depends on where you put me. Cause you could say, well, what did you need in your childhood or what did you need in your young adulthood, et cetera. But I think that like the bigger pieces that have been very useful, um, understanding mental health as a context like that mental health is a context. It's not something that exists inside of like your brain. It's like, it's a bigger thing. It's your relationship structures, the society you find yourself in, your diet, your beliefs, your past, like all of, like all of that is being brought to bear on the individual experience. And the leverage point is often not what the West is going to tell you. It's not going to be this psychiatric medication. And it might not be a psychedelic medication or a psychedelic medicine either. You know, I think that that's also important to recognize that like, right. That yeah. it's that, that could be a piece of it, but it's, it's a context you find yourself in. Okay. I think that number one, I think the second thing is the reorientation towards emotional states and feelings as inherently valuable. Like your experience is inherently valuable. And so your experience, my experience was valuable in like the moment, sort of in like this micro way, 
moment to moment, staying present to what I was experiencing, that that was uniquely valuable for my growth. But also that my experience itself, like the larger experience that I was going through was valuable, not just to me, but also to the tribe that like that experience of being sensitive and creative and going through a psychosis was something that was actually in service to my growth and the community's growth and to treat it as such, not to treat it as something that we need to be afraid of or medicate away or push away. So I think that kind of idea of the valuing of experience, um, I think an understanding that it's important to be like, It's important to be with people that are going to be able to hold you in your experience and to, and to learn to discern when someone is going into their own trauma or their own story or they're shutting down and they can't hold, they can't help you hold space for your experience that those people do exist. And it's like, it's worth it to try to separate yourself or at least often temporarily from people who can't really be with you or hold your experience or the, when you try to share how you're feeling with them, it just triggers them in some way. They, they go into a shame spiral um, that you want to, you want to share those experiences vulnerably with people, but that you need to kind of be in, you need to learn to discern where those parts of you are going to be safe and that you can then build the safety for those parts in those relate, whether it's a therapist or a good coach or a community of people. Um, and, the, and that those do exist, but they're not everywhere. And also not to right. wa- not and also not to waste energy like being attacking or upset or trying to coach some person on how to be with like you in a way. Like it's this very limiting return. It's like a very limited um, returns in those spaces. Like I think it's you can tell people how you want to be treated, et cetera. But the person who's going to help you is not someone you're going to have to coach on how to be your coach basically. Right. You know, right. I mean, you can give feedback, but like, um, there's a, a person can only be with you to the depth they've been with themselves. And if you're going to touch on some deep things, you need to, you need to gravitate towards a person who's also oriented towards holding themselves in their own experience and has that support capacity. Um, mm. I think an understanding, an, an understanding of the neurobiology of a psychosis or these mental health pieces, like an, a map for me that was, they're all sort of manifestations of not being able to regulate your nervous system. And that, that has a lot to do with your past and like your childhood and previous traumas. And again, getting into supportive environments to, to allow you to, to allow me to go into those experiences and then integrate them and then learn and build that capacity for self-regulation was really important learning how to be with trans, you know, the transpersonal space. I think that like understanding holotropic breath work, I'm almost very curious about what would happen if I would have just done holotropic breath work, you know, before all of this stuff, you know, if that mm. would have been a part of my, part of my life and practice. Um, because it's just been so powerful now and it continues to be such a powerful experience that I've had more powerful experiences with breath work than any other medicine, including Bufo or psilocybin or MDMA or. Um, wow. Wow. So that I think is important, like working with those transpersonal states. Um, what else comes up in that space? You know, again, yeah, the relational piece. And then also like doing what you need to do to take care of yourself. Like um, 
this is all it's all of the systems so i feel like you can kind of get you get leverage in yourself in any particular ways but like yeah doing work with my business like trusting trusting my heart learning how to be in a place where i feel like i'm doing like my soul's work or i'm following my purpose in some deeper way um and also value and taking responsibility to value myself to to build out structures that support me financially so that i can take care of myself and then i'm not um causing myself undue stress by not being able to pay my rent or whatever. Like I think right. all those, there's, you know, there's all there's this context that you're, that, that I'm in. So, um, and I think just a, a recognition that like it is possible, like you can navigate through this and you're probably also, there's also going to be people that are going to leave your life you know, in, in some way, like, and that's okay. And that there's other people that are going to come into your life and um, learning how to, again, discern spaces that your soul feels safe, whether that's a romantic relationship, a business partnership, um, the, the right context for certain relationships. Like maybe I don't feel safe with this person just one-on-one, -on -one, but I actually do feel safe if I'm in like a coaching or therapeutic environment with them, you know, having a person there with us to navigate through stuff, for example. Um, and, um, and also learning how to orient towards, yeah, like coaches, mentors, et cetera, where your, your soul feels like it'll be safe and nourished in those, in those environments. Um, and learning how to create boundaries for yourself, you know, that you can take responsibility for the safety of yourself in those, in those places. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot. There's a, there, yeah. I feel like there's been so many pieces to all of this, but the, it, 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 like trusting in my intuition, trusting that that idea of that there was another possibility for myself and then going towards it and investing in it and working in that direction. Um, and if someone tells you something's impossible, like that's more a reflection of them than any than reality. You know, I think that's, that's a, that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would you say that a turning point for you, a major turning point for you was when you shifted more inwards and listened to the pain and the discomfort and went into that? hundred percent. That was the, that was the defining moment of the journey. You know, yeah. I think that, um, the, the, the realization that that part of myself was valuable. And that it and now it's a gift, you know. It really is a tremendous yeah. gift. Um, so that's you. It's not mm. this thing that you're trying to get away, or that right. there's something wrong yeah. with you, but that it actually has information for you. It's communicating a message to you, right? Yeah, and it's and it's yeah, it's the it's it's you. It's the part of you that, um, your family system and culture or whatever told you wasn't safe to be to you know, survive. And so you stuffed it away and that gets painful. Alice Miller said, you know, that our depression is the pain of having abandoned one's authentic self and that, um, mania psychosis is sort of the fear that happens when that abandoned self kind of shows up as a stranger, just kind of like shows mm -hmm. up to the party, like, Hey, I'm here. And like, you don't have a relationship with it. So it's terrifying. <laughs> you know? um, yeah just bursts in the door like yeah, yeah who's yeah. ready to go yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so it's and, and 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 from my view it's not about suppressing the pain you know or or further reinforcing 
pushing back the authentic self. It's about integrating those parts of us. And I think that happens neurobiologically uh, as well. I mean, I think that all these, there's like a, a biological process that's happening. There's sort of a emotional process that's happening, a spiritual process that's happening, you know, a, a mythological process. But all these pieces kind of, they're yeah. happening. They're, they're all, you're happening at all these different levels. You can look at any level and you can describe it. Yeah. And, right. And Epigenetic terms. process. Sure. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like ancestral trauma and, sure. and family stuff. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not even a new thing. You know, I think that that's the other piece too is like it's not new. This is like humans have been doing this forever. Like this is just this is this process of of death and rebirth and going into visionary states. Like we've, this has been part of our process as a species, as long as we've been a species. So getting more in alignment with that natural process. And, but like it, you know, it is a luxury too, on some level. I mean, I think, I think how challenging it was for me to do all of it and also how blessed I was in terms of intelligence, independent thinking, um, I mean, there were times when I was like out of money and like sleeping basically homeless in like vacant houses, but like I still had family. I could still like, I still had people I could call, you know, I could have gone back to Pennsylvania again or gone back to my parents' house or whatever. So I, I do feel like there was an overwhelming amount of just luck and resources that I was given, you know, to be able to navigate through those spaces. Um, so I hope, you know, I, I, part of that is I hope to, share my experience in a way that is responsible, but also like it can be a resource for people if they choose to go down that, go down that path. Because I meet people all the time that are, that are very stuck. They've been on these, you know, I've been on these medications and if you talk to them, they say, I, I would love nothing more than to be off of them. I feel like I've been on them my entire life, you know, my life. It's you know, part of myself. It's missing through all of this. And, um, it's, it feels vulnerable to share the story in a way, not because I, there, there's an embarrassment around it or that I don't trust in my own self. I used to be nervous, like I was going to go crazy, of course, and then all oh, the story's invalidated or something, right? I, I've moved beyond that. But I do think that there's like, there's always a, you know, like, like the answer is not just like go off your medication and take a bunch of mushrooms and like you're fine. Like that's not, certainly not, <laughs> right, you know, right, like that's probably right. not the path. But, right. um, and maybe for somebody it is, but I, I, I don't, I, I certainly wouldn't. It's like, I'm yeah. not even, I'm not even advocating. I don't even know if I'm advocating much of anything other than just saying like, this is what my path has been. Here's what I feel like the research shows. I think that there's a tremendous gap between what is possible for humans and like what the current paradigm offers. I think that we, we skew far, far too strongly towards here's a psychiatric medication that really doesn't even work that well for many people. You know, it's like, it's the efficacy of them is not even that great with a lot of really negative side effects. Um, so yeah. I just, I'm grateful for the spot that I'm at and, um, and, and, and for all the, like, I feel like I got this tour of the psychedelic space of the transpersonal space of what is happening in psychiatry and like how that all works and like that whole industry um, and I've, it's, you know, it's interesting. I've been able to like make innovations within that space and I've been able to consult for psychiatrists or for therapists and help develop new protocols and talk to them about and make, you know, discover new things that, um, could become new treatments for people in certain ways and help advance that type of thing. 
So it's been it's been it's been a rewarding journey, and at this point, it just has become part of the journey. You know, and I think I'm in like I said, I'm in a great place in my life um, where I have aside. Yes, is there still part of me that occasionally like that fear of going to hell or that fear of going crazy comes up? It's like there a little bit. It's like one or two percent sometimes. But I do think there's a deeper sense in trust and orientation that like, if you're going to hell, go. If you're going to crazy, go crazy. Like let yourself go crazy. Like go surrender to that experience and don't yeah. fight it. You know, don't right. fight whatever it is that you're. Um, and I've had enough repetition, so to speak, with that, with those experiences that I've. Um, I feel I feel confident. You know, there's like a. I guess it's a degree of self-esteem in that I feel like I can handle those experiences. Shall should they come up? You know, right. So when they when the sort of wild manic guy comes into the party, you are you've established a relationship with him now. It's not an alienated stranger. It's like, oh, okay, you're here, but like, listen, man, we're not we're not really going too crazy tonight. You know, just uh, just a little bit of this or a little bit of that. You could stay a little while. You know, as my friend would say, invited into tea talk, have a conversation. But when it's time to to exit, it's time to exit. When the party's over, it's over. You know, but it's not this fear. You're not trying to well, like. I don't shove have, it away. I mean, I don't have. I think as that relationship has been built, like that just is me, you know. It's like, oh, yeah. this, it's like my authentic self is something that I, I know that the more that I take an active role of expressing it, being in it, the less that it acts out in some way in my life. It just, uh-huh. because, it, you know, it's here. It's like, yeah, because you have those spaces, you have those containers where so, you, you mentioned, um, I, I'd lo- I mean, if there's anything else you want, more you want to say about this, yeah. please do. But I, I was interested in, you brought up men's work and that's something yeah. that I've recently got into. And you mentioned through men's work, through coaching, I'm able to sort of feel safe and allowing things to come up. So yeah, talk to me a little bit about, about that, um, and how you got into that and, and, and what that was like for you, uh, feeling out those spaces and having your full self be allowed to, to be there. I mean, the first, I, the first man, I went to a, um, a Junto retreat. I don't know if if you know, Junto and Andrew Horn's work. Um, Mm -hmm. good, beautiful dude and good friend of mine. I, 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 he, for like a year, he tried to get me to come to his Junto retreats and I finally got around to doing it. It was a couple years, you know, um, and at the end of it, it was like a three-day event, maybe 20 or 30 guys, I think. It's a pretty large group of guys, um, 20 people. He, uh, or I had this experience of being in this room with all these guys, and I, I realized how much, like, how much fear I had around being in groups of men where I wasn't the, like, the leader, like, where I wasn't the team captain or something, you know? And it... And, and, and these memories came up of being in, in high school or middle school, even just growing up as a kid, where if I was in a situation with a bunch of guys, like I was often fighting, like fighting for my say, like fighting, physically fighting, like getting out, like fighting through a mob of 30 guys jumping you or so. It was like this crazy energy of just like the fear of being around like groups of men that I still was carrying in, into my 40s, you know, my 30s, late 30s. And that, that after that first mentor, I like realized like, oh, like you've like, there was a part of me that thought maybe these guys are all going to beat me up, you know, that that was still like going on inside of me in some way. Um, and that 
realization and then stepping into them, like, and then starting to like co-lead a men's group, et cetera. Like, I think that, yeah, it, sh- it shifted some, it just really shifted something at some deeper level. And I think it, it, it's like, it began to help me recognize just the, I mean, even more so the power of just like presence, it's just being yourself, showing up in a space and being yourself and also trusting other people's in their experience, other people in their experience, you know? So if someone's going through some crazy thing in the same way, if they're going through some crazy thing in a psychedelic space and you're holding space for them, the best thing you can do is to be present, help them navigate it, you know, help them feel their experience and to, and to hold a perspective that this is, that the difficult thing they're experiencing is helping them in some way um, and not to rob them of that. I think that that's also true in the men's workspace. It's like people's life is a psychedelic trip they're going through. And so to be there with them and to help them get present to their experience, like that's, that's the most beneficial thing you can do for someone, you know, in that, in that regard to help hold space for their, to help hold space and witness their transformation and their potential in that, in that world. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Space is so important in the context of holding an energetic space by just the mere proximity of others. Right. But then also this idea of space as an allotment of time, right? Like talking about what you were talking about before, what you were going through, the, the sort of way in which our society functions doesn't necessarily foster uh, uh the, the conditions to allow for for time and space to exist to go through a process um, right. you know you have to make money you have to pay bills you have to get moving right so our culture has been that's why i think that we have this kind of psychiatric Ooh. model that we have this um you know pharmaceutical industry complex that we have is because it's all about getting back to the wheel of feeding the incentive structure that doesn't necessarily serve you. So this concept of of space and the allowance of the process seems to be a big theme in a lot of the stuff that you're doing. A mentor said to me um, years ago, you know, like if you need to take a couple, and this is not this was like, I, I was watching a video a mentor had given me that he had recorded or something. So it was like, he was kind of making this general case to people like, get your inner world together, you know, like get that shit together. And it might, like, it might take you a year or two to do that. And, but do it like go before anything else, before you try to build your business before, like, just go do what you need to do to get your inner world together. Because we need you to, we need your contribution. We need your work. We need your expression. But until that's handled, it's going to be very difficult to get, if not impossible, to do anything else. And so I remember hearing that. It was very difficult to hear. Like, shit, like, really take two years of my life to go do some other thing? I have so much that I need to do. I mean, I wish I would have taken that even more seriously now, looking back. Just that the prioritization of the inner world and of, of healing the relationship to oneself, to their deepest self, that that... Um, it just, it, it, it's not selfish to make that the topmost priority, you know, like it's just, it's just no way that that is selfish. It's the most selfless thing you can do. The biggest gift you can give your community is to go, is to take responsibility for your healing and just go 
on that journey, go on that path and seek out the spaces and places that are going to be able to hold you in that process. Um, and get that, get that sorted out, you know, like that's, and, and, and trust that it's sorted out. And if so, and if you're around someone who says you're not going to get it, that you can't sort it out or that you've got some, you know, def Prozac deficiency or something like maybe just check that against your intuition, check that against the science, check that against the, what, what's really going on um, and see if you've got an opportunity to do some deeper work and to grow in some way, you know, like, but you can get that sorted out. I, I, I believe that, that, that that's the, the top sure. priority is to get that, to get that sorted out. So um, that was very helpful. And it's also, it's right. It's like, I'm getting left behind and I'm, I'm not, you know, and you know, I, and in some senses I do feel that like it's tough sometimes, especially my line of work is that I, I, I'm the coach and advisor to people who are very often my age or younger, you know, who are billion, like billion dollar companies, you know, that, that have, um, and there, there, it's been a challenge at times for me to be around people that have accomplished a lot more externally, so to speak, or like, you know, financial, it, that there, that that's been a part of myself that I've had to learn to be with is like, in a way, um, recognizing that I had to go on this internal journey before I could ever build anything that was going to be meaningful. And also that that journey I went in has now put me in a position to be able to help other people, regardless of how much money bigger company is, the money they've made, et cetera, that there are some very real challenges people are still facing. And I've, I've had the benefit to confront a lot of those things already. And so, you know, that, that, that was work that I kind of did first in a way. Um, but yeah, I think that that has been that decision to take time to heal and really go inward with myself. Um, yeah. And some level, yeah, I think they're you know, dealing with fears of you're, you're too far behind, you're behind or, you know, these types of things. But um, at the end of it though, I, I do feel a deep sense of gratitude that I had any space at all to be able to do that, you know, to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that, that just don't and, and they just get thrown into the, I don't know, the system and they're on the streets and they're in the hospitals and they're on the meds right. and they're, it's just a cycle and they can't get out of it. But if they had the, the opportunity or the know-how, so, you know, anybody I, you know, that's listening that like maybe feels like in that position is like, go and find the people that can be with you in that space, find, you know, go online, do the research, find it out. Just don't, don't go with, don't necessarily just go with the first suggestion that you get, you know, and, um, and yeah, just listening to you talk about that experience of you being, you know, a coach to these people that have billion dollar companies and things. And I was just thinking of the thought, it's almost like maybe you had desired to be like the hardware, mm. you know, like you wanted to be like the iPhone or the, the, mm. the MacBook, but you actually, your purpose is to be just this excellent operating system mm. that can be installed mm. and plugged in to so mm. many different devices and yeah. and you're helping facilitate yeah. this amazing change and growth. Talk to me a little bit about uh, about what that's like and when you started that. When when we met in 2012, I don't think that you were doing that. I believe you were working on the credit card covers. Um, so yeah, so I've yeah. I've always my entire adult life, I've always had some kind of coaching mentorship relationship with people. Um, 
in college, you know, I was a, I was an athlete and a captain and a coach and trained up, um, athletes and ultimate Frisbee. Some of them went on to become professional or world champion players, et cetera. Like coaching entrepreneurs, people that, you know, would come to me and say, Hey, I'd like to learn business or whatever. And I would teach people kind of mentor them in that. Um, some folks that have gone on to build billion dollar brands in that way, but I never, and other things like people would, people would just start coming to me. It was never like I hung up a shingle and said, Anthony coaching, you know, people would say, Hey, can you teach me this? Or can, can I pay you to coach me around something? I remember, I think my first paying client was someone who came to me, said, are you a coach? Um, and I said, well, I kind of could, I, you know, I have coached people around things before and, um, person like wanted to lose weight or something. And I was like, well, I'm not in health. I was not even like a thing I was into. I wasn't like a health coach or, you know, nutritionist or workout person, but they felt like I'd be able to support them. And so then I just applied some basic things, checked in with them, whatever. Um, they lost like 70 pounds in some short period. Like they lost all this weight. It was like this, you know, and I, I started to realize that it was more about the space. It was like the transformational space. It's like, it's like if you have a kid and your kid's like, I want to become whatever, an astronaut, you don't have to be an astronaut to like support them in that process of loving them and helping them navigate, right. you know, like that's, and I think coaching is a lot like that. I think leadership is a lot like parenting in that, in that regard. Um, so, but I always had these people that would come to me, but it wasn't until, um, I mean, really quite recently that I actually even said, like, I'm going to focus on this as like a business. It's a more recent thing. You know, I, I, I had people that would get referred to me and, and they would say, you know, so-and-so told me I should convince you to like accept money to coach me. I mean, that was literally where the, where the clients would start to come from. So it was, and at a certain point I was like, okay, there's something here. You know, this is like, the market is like literally knocking on your door. Like we want you to help us in this way. So I tried to take that more seriously and I felt like there's a gift there that I should really cultivate and develop more. Um, and so, you know, more recently I started to create more structure. I started to really think about who are the people that I'm best suited to serve? What is, what are the containers that I, I really need to be able to work with them in? Um, and so like, I realized that you know, working with someone for a year, for example, is much better for me than like, a month to month kind of relationship because shit comes up for people. They try to run from things. Like I want the long-term commitment right. to growth. And so I just got very clear on like what the best way to work with me would be. And for people that's a, you know, they, they, to my one-on-one -on -one work is it's a year container. I take a handful of people that I work with. Um, and it's typically very intelligent, sensitive, creative people that have accomplished a lot of things in the world. Um, deeply probably grounded in spiritual practice. They have experience with psychedelics. They're, they've, they've, they've had a more mystic experience of life in some capacity. Um, but, but they, they haven't had to necessarily like similar to me in many ways, but they haven't by, they haven't necessarily had to, um, like take on this additional work of like really healing the deeper, the psych, dealing with the psychosis and that type of stuff. I think that the, you know, there, there was a way that their context didn't require that they face that, but the work that I did in that space is so applicable. It's almost like that's the super amplified version of everything that's going on for all of us humans. And so mm. to navigate that, it's like training at altitude or something. And when you come back down to meet somebody where they are, hopefully they don't have to go through a decade of psychosis to get benefit from these experiences to integrate them and to be able to move forward in, in meaningful ways. Um, so 
yeah, that that work, um, it's become very reward. It's very rewarding work to do, and um, I just. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so grateful for it, you know, and it's also provided a really good foundation for me to be able to continue my own, my own inner journey, my own creative work. You know, I, I maintain a bunch of other creative projects as well, but the primary focus now is the, is the coaching we call earth pilot. The idea that we're all, mm-hmm. that we're all co-pilots of spaceship earth, that we're developing this deep leadership capacity, which is you know, the capacity to, to lead and to be led inside of ourselves so that we can excavate our gifts and then bring those into the world and then to um, be able to hold really radical space for our organization and for the people that we're, you know, that we're, that we're with um, to create a dynamic culture so people can grow and heal within your presence, you know, whether you're, that's your romantic partnership or your business or, you know, your community. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that a a lot of people, I guess there's this tendency sometimes for some people to think about businesses as being, you know, just you hear a lot of talk about, oh, you know, Amazon and this and there are all these businesses that are doing these bad things, whatever. But I I suppose by people who are coming to you, like I see that you work with um, the co-founder of Asana. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and. I'm using Asana right now. It's great. I've always loved Asana, and but it's it, it, there's something about it, right? It's like there's it's it's a way that's uh, it feels more human. It feels more intuitive, and so I think that by working with these with these people and for ha- having them to go into their experiences and into their wounds and like really bring out kind of the fullest of their potential, um, that it's it's changing things from the inside. Mm-hmm right? That I feel like that's what really a part of how we actually make the world a better place. Um, not that this, not that like to paint it in this black and white image of like, well, if you're just, if you're like creating a business and making money, then that's like bad or something. It's like, well, I mean, it's interesting. Like I, yeah, I mean, Asana, um, the, the folks that I work with, they often are running like the best places on earth to work. You know, I mean, I think that like the culture of Asana is one that the people that like are a part of that team, like they're very, um, they're already doing things that are, you know, beyond what most other organizations in the world are doing. We did a, we did a, um, like a psychedelic breathwork experience over COVID for, uh, my buddy Dave Heath's company, Bombas, like the saw, the one for one saw company, you know? And, yeah. um, those guys are now, you know, a, a billion dollar brand. Um, they were probably running a crowdfund when you and I met, you know, they were like, they yeah. were the crowdfunding socks. Um, but you know, their, th- their group is like the number one place to work in their, in their sec- segment, you know, for retail, it's like the number one culture, you know, to work or whatever. So there's a certain kind of founder who already is oriented towards wanting to build world-class culture that really wants to push themselves. That is already probably at the top of their game, but yet is like, where are they going to go to get support and, and structure and to, to go to the next level for what, what's capable for them. Um, that's where I found that I'm really, I really excel. It's people that have already made their way in some capacity to the top of their field or the top of their industry. And then, um, and, and I think for me, I, shared that. I said, look, we exist in this place called capitalism. And, um, interestingly enough, I mean, Justin has left Asana, um, to, 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 to found one project, which is really to kind of re-engineer and, and redesign economic and governance systems. I mean, he really wants to kind of re-engineer the capitalist system in some way. So that's kind of, um, 
yeah, he, he says that, you know, after one of our sessions, he got clear that that was a higher calling for him. And, you know, I was able to support him in stepping into that process over the last, we went with him for over three years. Um, but there is something within the model of capitalism, which is like, because of the competitive nature, right? Like the culture, the corporate culture, so to speak, like it's in this, it's, it's, it's in this competitive space where it's being pitted against like other companies. Like, so getting a, building a healthy, vibrant culture that unlocks people's gifts that's sustainable to me feels like that is like a competitive advantage. So like within this system, there's pre there's, there's extra pressure within companies to get their culture right, which means there's extra pressure on the leaders and founders of those companies to get their internal culture right, which is the relationship and the language they use with themselves, basically the way that they're oriented towards themselves. So I see an opportunity and kind of global change to like a leverage point is that working with these leaders, being able to work with and help support the best corporate kind of cultures in the world. Like that has a long-term like a long-term impact in terms of the people that work in those organizations are going to go home and they're going to be, they're going to be able to take things to their families that they wouldn't normally be able to give in terms of emotional capacity, freedom, flexibility, et cetera. And I think then those things birth a generation of kids that are able to be more compassionate, more empathetic. And that lays a foundation for some of these larger cultural changes to happen and to, to evolve, you know? And, I th and so I think you can work, I'm all about changing the system and, you know, from, from outside, but I'm also about changing it from within. I think that both, I think that all of that is rel is, is, is valid and relevant. You know, I think it's like, I mean, Rick Doblin taught me this in terms of his orientation as like a psychedelic advocate or activist to go to the vets administration, to go right to the heart of the American kind of consumer. Yeah. Right to the wound. Yeah. Right. And say so that's where we're going to get the leverage in this overall system. So um, I think that there are tremendous leverage points yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, I, it's, it's amazing to see, uh, you know, as much as you can get bogged down in the negative, there's so much positive emerging. And I think it's because a lot of this healing and yeah, I mean, I worked with uh, decriminalized Denver to right. pass the psilocybin decriminalization initiative in 2019. And a large part of that was uh, an organization, organization called veterans for natural rights. Right. And, um, you know, that, that was, um, communicating to others who might not be in our inner psychedelic, you know, jargon and, and understanding and those kinds of things in the language that they understand in the context right. that they understand was immensely transformative. So let's talk a little bit about your work now as an activist with decriminalized nature, New York. I mean, this yeah. is huge. New York is my home hometown. I'm out here in Denver now, but you know, it's, um, a place that's near and dear to my heart. And I, and I feel that it's definitely a sort of belly of the beast in a way that, uh, has right. a lot going on and yeah. needs a lot of healing as well. Well, and you know, thank you for your work in Colorado because that was, um, inspirational for us in New York and, you know, spoke to some of the folks out there and got kind of support and strategy, you know, in our, in our work here in, in New York. Um, pulled together. Yeah. Pulled together a small group of people, I guess it was a year and a half ago now to, to get the 
to found the decriminalized nature New York chapter and get that up and running. Um, and I feel, and, and now I'm, now I'm in, in an advisory role with them. And I feel like we're in a position this year to get a bill passed. I mean, I've every person that I've talked to that's currently running for office in New York city, um, is when I ask them if they're supporting, you know, a decriminalized nature bill when city council gets elected, they all, everyone has said yes. You know, they all are saying yes to it. So I think that the foundations are there. And for me, that, that, that decriminalized nature piece in New York was, it was another leverage point. You know, it was kind of this New York city felt important. I mean, it's like, it's like healing and trauma felt like the primary thing that we needed to get leverage on for as a species and the psychedelic movement felt like that was the leverage point to that conversation, both in terms of getting people healing, but also just opening up the process of integration and trauma, et cetera. And then the New York city movement of decrim felt like that was, you know, kind of another leverage point. It was like within that space because I'm, because I'm here, but also because New York city can kind of give ground cover to other city councils around the country or on the world really to, to, to move this stuff forward culturally. So mm-hmm. that was how I kind of thought about it. You know, it was like, how do I, get leverage at culture in a large scale way. And then finding the thing that was just the highest leverage point closest to me to be able to move things in that direction. I mean, I think now, I mean, I don't know, there's a, it looks like we're going to be like, there's a federal bill right now for like some, I, I, I just, yeah, the Democrats, I think introduced a federal bill. There's always something new happening. It's so and in fast. California. They yeah. passed, uh, they passed something. So it's, it's so fast. I feel yeah. like it's just been this exponential thing. Yeah. Once the cat was out of the bag, you know, yeah. you know, some people will say, well, uh, it's still not, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you know that, yeah, the Democrats, I think introduced a bill to end the war on drugs. Right. Is what I, as what yeah. I read. So right. sometimes it's hard to keep up because there's so much, it, so many changes happening, but it's so great to see. It really is. You know, yeah. and I'm, I'm curious about, this is just something I'm curious about that. I'd love to see someone do research on this, but, um, I spent, I spent some time with building a, a relationship with, uh, Ray Kurzweil, the famous futurist and inventor yeah. years ago. And, you know, he talks about exponential change of technology, et cetera. And one of the things that I've been curious about is, 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 is cultural and political change happening at an exponential rate? You know, like it's like the, the, the time from the introduction of an idea into the mainstream to how fast it gets made, like rapid adoption, right? Like, yeah. like what is, are those, is that compressing? are things happening faster from the time that people are like, we need to change this, the time that things actually get done. My intuition is that that seems to be yes. Like the, the things go from like not being on anyone's radar to just like all of a sudden it's everywhere. And like, there's just things happening, yeah. but you can't even keep up to the legislation and, and things that are happening. Um, right. I'm just, I'm curious about that. I'm curious if that's a, you know, if, if we're reaching a point where things are just happening faster and faster and faster in terms of policy and folks willingness to adopt things and change and, um, yeah. So I'd like I'd like to see someone do some research on that to see if we're. Uh, I would love to see it too. My intuition tells me yes, and I'm thinking of of Terrence McKenna when he said he says, uh, you know, time is speeding up. Things right. are getting stranger. <laughs> you know, it's like, but we're we're yeah. like we are as the internet and psychedelic culture sort of are emerging. Yeah. You know, sort of together, it's like we are in this new world where literally we could see and connect with everybody and everything at every moment. 
And it is very psychedelic because a lot of the times in a deep psychedelic space, you are in this sort of like infinite portal of just novelty and diversity and color and fractals. And and that seems to be kind of seeping into this reality mm. in the sense of how things are shaped in people's minds and what the consciousness mm. adapts and what's out there and what's hot now and what's at the moment. You know, a news story that happened three days ago, everybody in the world is panicking about. And now it's something else, mm. you know, or, or just like right. how quickly we adapt to new technologies or new language or right. whatever it is. It right. really is really amazing to see. Yeah. Right. And, and like, you can say it's like uh, also some kind of biomimicry of the of the mycelial network, hmm. like, you know, how it connects as sort of this nature's Internet, this web extending. And and now we're seeing it kind of hmm. in us more. But I always like to to bring that up. I think, yeah. Yeah. There, there's that 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 well, policy, I suppose, you know, policy is technology, right? Like like a piece of policy is a human technology, you know, to say, we're going to, we have this particular way that we're going to govern ourselves, you know? So, um, if technologies are speeding up, if the, if the rate of adoption of technology is, is increasing, then perhaps that we're also adopting new, you know, legislation is, is happening faster too. I, it's a good thesis. I'd like to see someone dig into it more deeply. Um, yeah, I hope I hope the legislation speeds up quicker too, because it still is a bit stagnant. I just think that the the the, the infrastructure is um, yeah. is very archaic, and I think totally. that yeah. they need to like surrender to the to what is emerging, and then we'll see dramatic shifts. Yeah, well, I think you know we, we our, our system was built to use horses and parchment paper and quill pens. You know yeah. that was like what yeah. it was designed to do. So. Um, you know, we have a lot, we have quantum communication and electrons, you know, a fo photon based, uh, communication and silicon now. So I think that there's some version of a future governance system that is more dynamic and more responsive. Um, life, I think the liquid democracies and dynamic democracies, I think that there's some real promise in those types of structures. Um, and I'm curious about, you know, I'm curious about what these, what these things look like into the future. And I, I do think that sometimes companies are going to start experimenting with some of this stuff. So, you know, I think that these, that there's opportunities within companies and corporate structures to experiment with these new things before they go mainstream in, uh, in society. Um, the final piece on the activist front, I guess I could say is that I recently was in a PBS documentary that's coming out, um, where I was invited to, uh, sit for a woman, um, an old friend of mine, actually been friends with her for, gosh, maybe 20 years now, um, who had some really intense trauma from multiple rape, sexual assault, like in, in grad school and some, when I was in grad school, she was an undergraduate. Um, and so yeah, PBS invited me to sit, to be in the space with her while she took MDMA to, and to kind of help her be in that place. And quite beautiful, a bit, edgy to kind of come out publicly to say, Hey, I'm just going to be willing to be in this space with someone on, on medicine. Um, and, uh, it, it also, we haven't seen it yet. It comes out in a next week, I think is when I, you know, the, the series called the, the mysteries of mental illness. It's a four part series, but I think it's the first time that a national platform is going to show 
kind of just the whole thing, you know, like just an unanonymized, like no one in like a weird vo- voice just kind of is an activist thing to say, Hey, like this is be- yes. Like these laws are happening in other places, but there is still a huge gap for people to get access. And this is currently the way that people are accessing it. And she's a, she's a, uh, a civil rights attorney. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, activist and, and lawyer. Um, but as her own healing journey, she's been going through. And so she was open to kind of put that on display, so to speak, to show people what that, what that was like. Um, Amazing. So in that regard, that was, I felt like I was nervous about it, you know, because I think that my paranoia, you know, it's like my third paranoia is going to jail. It's like going to hell, going crazy, you know, and then going to jail is always, so I had to really deal yeah. with, I had to really deal with that when she asked me if I could, you know, be in kind of help, help hold space for her. Um, but I think that, um, well, she inspired me in a way. I mean, she was, she was willing to step into that space. And so when she asked me to do it, I thought, okay, this is a, this is an opportunity to be more of an activist in this space to show people what goes on and the power of it. And, um, and also that it's not something people need to be, should not feel ashamed of. Like, it's not something that, that, like it's a mistake that these things have been criminalized. Like it's just, right. it was an error. Like so there was a, an, yes. there was a mistake that was made and people are suffering as a result of that mistake. There's no other way around right. it. It's just yeah. it's, it's, system error. It's a system yeah. error. And so, yeah. um, and, and, and so I think that was just the, so anyways, it, you said you talked about activist work, that piece is, you know, it, it was, is forthcoming. So probably by the time people hear this, it'll already happen. Yeah. They can go, it should be streamable on PBS. Um, Great. Yeah. We'll put the link in there. Thank you so much for doing that. I, I think it's uh, immensely important and to your friend as well for people to, as Rick Doblin would say, come out of the psychedelic closet, yeah. you know, and, and, and really just say, Hey, look, and Dr. Carl Hart recently talking about his relationship with drugs right. and how, you know, these are personal choices and yeah. these are things that have tremendous benefit and value. And when we have education, uh, around them and and proper um, people who have been there to guide and facilitate. I mean, we can we can have dramatic shifts yeah. in, in the nature of our being and, and have more peace and, and harmony with ourselves and each other. So immensely important. So thank you for to you and your friend for, for doing that. It felt yeah, I appreciate that. It feels it feels important. And I think um... it also gives people permission as well. You know, it, it allows other people and to, like you said, she inspired you. So she says, Hey, look, we're doing this. You guys can too. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think just showing that side of them, the importance of that. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't even really take, I mean, it's been years since I had a major psychedelic experience personally. You know, I think that's the other interesting piece of it is I'm an activist and an advocate want to see these things happen. And I'm also kind of like, there's also tremendous benefit and just taking space and integrating and, Sure. Kind of confronting the psychedelic nature of your life on a day-to-day basis that is yes, important yes. and breath work and these things, et cetera. So it's, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's a weird thing. Cause I don't, it's like some people I talk to and it's like, you know, maybe they benefit from more psychedelics, other people, maybe less for a while. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's not always just on. It's like, there's a, there's, but it's learning to work with them in that way. Um, oh, such a huge point. I'm so glad that you said that. Like, yeah. you know, 
I was telling you before that I had a, I had an old MacBook and it lasted me a decade. Yeah. But I needed to get it. I, I it was time now to get a new one. Yeah. So it's like the same kind of thing, oh. right? It's like right. you know you do it when the time comes. You don't have to be doing psychedelics every day, yeah. every week, every month. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this kind of thing. There's a time and a place, and when it's handled appropriately as yeah. a tool for growth, yeah. it can be tremendously beneficial. Right. Yeah. Um. There's one thing that was just that came up there. Um, maybe I'm maybe I lost the thought there. Right? Um, there's a. It's that it's 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 really, you know, the 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 remembrance and the recognition that these things are inside of us, like what you're experiencing is, is you, you know, it's, it's, and I, I think that that, um, that to me has been the, that's the message. And, 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 and the psychedelics are, they can be such great teachers and that they do tend to render themselves obsolete in these particular ways. It's like, they're going to show you this part of yourself and it's like, okay, this is now, um, like, but when you get that and you've integrated that, it's not to say you might not have another psychedelic experience. Like, but for me, it's like life has become so inherently psychedelic. Like it just, even in the difficult conversation you're having with a person or a teammate, like there's this whole other way of, for me of like relating to things that I've learned from that, from that space. And I don't, I don't know if you get that from other other I, other substance like another it's like a good teacher and it like it renders itself obsolete it's like you know it's like you've learned this piece and now you're able to um to navigate or at least for a time being navigate in a in a, in a different way i i'm and that's i think for me kind of the edge that i'm at now with like the psych with i'm like mm, i might but every time i take a psychedelic it always is i always leave with this question of like is that the last time i'll ever take a psych i don't know it's always it's, it's like maybe that is the last time you'll you know you'll have a a classic psychedelic experience um but there's something that's that's um there's something that is available in just being present with you know with our experience in every moment that I've learned from psychedelics that is, uh, I mean, the moment is so deeply powerful and so deeply healing to be present to it. Um, it's beautiful, man. It's, I, I just, it's a, it's a, it's an exciting time to be doing this work and to be in this, in this space. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, we didn't talk too much about the men's work, but but I know that's a big part of your life as well, and it's becoming a big part of mine. And I recently uh, had an experience where I hosted, co-hosted, and co-led a gathering up in Boulder at this beautiful place, and we there were no psychedelics involved, and I w I left so energized and so buzzing 
you know, cause I had kind of been sort of in this space of like, well, everything has to be psychedelics and things right. like that, you know, right. but I've been slowly coming out of that space and seeing exactly what you're talking right. about. You know, the sort of kinship, the tribal sort of element, the, the brotherhood, the community aspect of this particular work, men's work, uh, left me in such a heightened state mm. and, and in such a clear and present state. Um, so Beautiful. there's medicine everywhere. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. medicine everywhere to be found. Um, man, yeah, I, I could talk to you forever. We will probably have to do this again. I, I know you probably have to go. Um, but, uh, but yeah, people can find you at Anthony David Adams.com and, uh, anything else you'd like to, uh, to share, uh, with, with anyone. Um, Oh, you know, usually I, well, not usually, but Sometimes I sometimes we give away some books to people. So we have a we have a really good integration journal um, called the Mandala Work, which we'd be happy to give away to some of your listeners if that's if that's cool. Oh, cool! Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. So maybe I don't know. In the past, like the way people have done it is like if they um, I don't know how you share this stuff, but like you know, figure out a way if they if they share your this episode or something, and then and then tag you or something on Instagram. How, I'm trying to think of like a, a simple way to do this. Uh, share this episode somehow and tag, you know, tag me and tag you on social media. I'm at Anthony David Adams. Um, and we'll pick like three people or something from, from, from that sharing after this comes out and we'll send them a copy of the Mandala work, which is this 40 day process for integrating uh, peak experience, um, psychedelic experience, psychosis, major life trauma, major life accomplishment. It's a really foundational piece of work based on Carl Jung's Red Book. It's been really Amazing. useful for me. A lot of therapists and psychedelic integration folks are using it now. So let's just, yeah, let's give, I'd love to give away like three copies of that to anybody listening. Um, is that, co- oh, is, that, is, that co- is that coherent? Like do people like follow you? I, like, I just want them to share this episode and tag us somehow. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah and that we'll sounds pick, good. We'll pick yeah. three of those people to uh to give, Yeah, to that's give great. Um, yeah. And if they don't want to do that, they can actually get the book. We give it away for free as a PDF. It's anthonydavidadams.com slash mandala work. They can get a free copy of that, that book there. Um, I think that's it. That's, I, I feel complete. This has been a really beautiful conversation. I hope it's been you know, helpful for your audience and just it was uh, cool to catch up with you in this way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. And uh, thanks to everybody out there. Check out all the uh, links in the show description, show notes. Till next time. Peace. All right, brother. Peace. Hey, if you guys enjoyed that episode, please share it. Tell people about it. Leave a five-star rating and review. Helps the show. Helps us get visibility. Helps us grow. Check out all the sponsors that, that make me live and eat and have a roof over my head because they pay me. So um, they have really cool products, and I love them. Sheath Underwear, Ohana Kava Bar, Fungi Academy, Mushroom Revival, Student Loan Tutor. All these guys are just big believers in what we're doing, and they make cool stuff. So go get some discounts on some cool stuff. All the links are in the show description. Consider being a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. Be a part of our community. Get access to the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum Discord and bonus episodes with me and my co-host Matt. Dosadelic. Just a free-flowing comedy jam style type podcast that will be a patreon exclusive also just be kind to each other love each other and uh just be a good person just always uh remember that you know as much as uh 
things in this life are about surviving and acquiring and attaining and getting places and going places and doing things. We're already whole and complete and we're already enough and we're all doing the best that we can. And if you feel like you can do better, search deep inside, get quiet, listen to that inner voice inside and go out there in the world and just uh, treat other people with care and love and kindness and, you know, you'll feel good about yourself and others will feel good too. And thank you so much for listening. Till next time. Peace.